Story 14 of Fevers and Physicians in Space. Edward Short Sci-Fi, Volume 2. Bad Medicine by Robert Sheckley. Part 2. But surely you remember your Gorike, the regenerator was saying. No, Gasol answered wearily. Tell me, then, about your juvenile experiences with the Therastrian fleet. Never had any. Hmm, blockage, muttered the machine. Resentment, repression. Are you sure you don't remember your Gorike and what it meant to you? The experience is universal. Not for me, Castle said, swallowing a yawn. He had been undergoing mechanotherapy for close to four hours, and it struck him as futile. For a while he had talked voluntarily about his childhood, his mother and father, his older brother, but the regenerator had asked him to put aside those fantasies. The patient's relationship to an imaginary parent or sibling, it explained, were unworkable and of minor importance psychologically. The important thing was the patient's feelings, both revealed and repressed, toward his Gorake. Oh, look, Castrol complained. I don't even know what a Gorake is. Of course you do. You just won't let yourself know. I don't know. Tell me. It would be better if you told me. How can I? Castrol raged. I don't know. What do you imagine a Gorake would be? A forest fire, Castrol said. A salt tablet, a jar of denatured alcohol, a small screwdriver, am I getting warm, a notebook, a revolver? Those associations are meaningful, the regenerator assured him. Your attempt at randomness shows a clearly underlying pattern. Do you begin to recognize it? What in hell is a gorake? Casserole roared. The tree that nourished you during infancy and well into puberty, if my theory about you is correct. Inadvertently, the gorake stifled your necessary rejection of the theme desire. This in turn gave rise to your present urge to dwark someone in a vlendish manner. No tree nourished me. You cannot recall the experience. Of course not, it never happened. You are sure of that? Positive. Not even the tiniest bit of doubt? No. No Gorakai ever nourished me. Look, I can break off these sessions at any time, right? Of course, the regenerator said. But it would not be advisable at this moment. You are expressing anger, resentment, fear by your rigidly summary rejection. Nuts, said Caswell, and pulled off the headband. The silence was wonderful. Caswell stood up, yawned, stretched and massaged the back of his neck. He stood in front of the humming black machine and gave it a long leer. You couldn't kill me of a common cold, he told it. Stiffly, he walked the length of the living room and returned to the regenerator. Lousy fake, he shouted. Caswell went into the kitchen and opened a bottle of beer. His revolver was still on the table, gleaming dully. Magnuson, you unspeakable, treacherous filth! You fiend incarnate! You inhuman, hideous monster! Someone must destroy you, Magnuson! Someone! Someone! He himself would have to do it! Only he knew better the bottomless depths of Magnuson's depravity, his viciousness, his disgusting lust for power. Yes, it was his duty, Caswell thought. But strangely, the knowledge brought him no pleasure. After all, Magnuson was his friend. He stood up, ready for action. He tucked the revolver into his right-hand coat pocket and glanced at the kitchen clock. Nearly six-thirty. Magnuson would be home now, gulping his dinner, grinning over his plans. This was the perfect time to take him. Caswell strode to the door, opened it, started through, and stopped. A thought had crossed his mind. A thought so tremendously involved 
so meaningful, so far-reaching in its implications, that he was stirred to his depths. Caswell tried desperately to shake off the knowledge it brought, but the thought permanently etched upon his memory would not depart. Under the circumstances he could do only one thing. He returned to the living room, sat down on the couch, and slipped on the headband. The regenerator said, Yes, it's the damnedest thing, Caswell said, but do you know, I think I do remember my Garakay. John Rath contacted the New York Rapid Transit Corporation by televideo and was put into immediate contact with Mr. Bemis, a plump tanned man with watchful eyes. Alcoholism, Mr. Bemis repeated after the problem was explained. Unobtrusively, he turned on his tape recorder. Among our employees? Pressing a button beneath his feet, Bemis alerted transit security, publicity, inter-company relations, and the psychoanalysis division. This done, he looked earnestly at Rath. Not a chance of it, my dear sir. It's between us. Why does General Motors really want to know? Rath smiled bitterly. He should have anticipated this. MART and GM had had their differences in the past. Officially, there was cooperation between the two giant corporations, but for all practical purposes. The question is in terms of the public interest, Rath said. Oh, certainly, Mr. Bemis replied with a subtle smile. Glancing at his tattleboard, he noticed that several company executives had tapped in on his line. This might mean a promotion if handled properly. Public interest of GM, Mr. Bemis added with polite nastiness. The insinuation is, I suppose, that drunken conductors are operating our jet buses and helis. Of course not. They were searching for a single alcoholic predilection, an individual latency. There's no possibility of it. We at Rapid Transit do not hire people with even the merest tendency in that direction. I may suggest, sir, that you clean your own house before making implications about others. And with that, Mr. Bemis broke the connection. No one was going to put anything over on him. Dead end, Rath said heavily. He turned and shouted, Smith, did you find any prints? Lieutenant Smith, his coat off and sleeves rolled up, bounded over. Nothing usable, sir. Rath's thin lips tightened. It had been close to seven hours since the customer had taken the Martian machine. There was no telling what harm had been done by now. The customer would be justified in bringing suit against the company. Not that the money mattered much. It was the bad publicity that was to be avoided at all costs. Pardon, sir, Haskins said. Rath ignored him. What next? Rapid Transit was not going to cooperate. Would the armed services make their records available for scansion by somatotype and pigmentation? Sir, Haskins said again. What is it? I just remembered the customer's friend's name. It was Magnuson. You sure of that? Absolutely, Haskins said with the first confidence he had shown in hours. I've taken the liberty of looking up in the telephone book, sir. There's only one Manhattan listing under that name. Rath glowered at him from under shaggy eyebrows. Haskins, I hope you're not wrong about this. I sincerely hope that. I do too, sir, Haskins admitted, feeling his knees begin to shake. Because if you are, Rath said, I will. Never mind. Let's go. By police escort, they arrived at the address in fifteen minutes. It was an ancient brownstone, and Magnuson's name was on a second-floor door. They knocked. The door opened, and a stocky, crop-headed, shirt-sleeved man in his thirties stood before them. He turned slightly pale at the sight of so many uniforms, but held his ground. What is this? he demanded. You Magnuson? Lieutenant Smith barked. Yeah, what's the beef? If it's about my life I playing too loud, I can tell you that old hag downstairs. May we come in? Rath asked. It's important. Magnuson seemed about to refuse, so Rath pushed past him, 
followed by Smith, Fallensby, Haskins, and a small army of policemen. Magnuson turned to face them, bewildered, defiant, and more than a little awed. Mr. Magnuson, Rath said, in the pleasantest voice he could muster, I hope you'll forgive the intrusion. Let me assure you, it is in the public interest as well as your own. Do you know a short, angry-looking, red-haired, red-eyed man? Yes, Magnuson said slowly and warily. Haskins let out a sigh of relief. Would you tell us his name and address? asked Rath. I suppose you mean, hold it, what's he done? Nothing. Then what do you want him for? There's no time for explanations, Rath said. Believe me, it's in his own best interest too. What is his name? Magnuson studied Rath's ugly, honest face, trying to make up his mind. Lieutenant Smith said, Come on, talk, Magnuson. If you know what's good for you, you want the name, you want it quick. It was the wrong approach. Magnuson lighted a cigarette, blew smoke in Smith's direction, and inquired, You got a warrant, buddy? You better have, Smith said, striding forward. Oh, won't you, wise guy? Stop it, Rath thought. Lieutenant Smith, thank you for your assistance. I won't need you any longer. Smith left sulkily, taking his platoon with him. Rath said, I apologize for Smith's over-eagerness. You had better hear the problem. Briefly but fully, he told the story of the customer and the Martian therapeutic machine. When he was finished, Magson looked more suspicious than ever. You say he wants to kill me? Definitely. It's a lie. I don't know what your game is, mister, but you'll never make me believe that. I was my best friend. We've been best friends since we was kids. We've been in service together. Edward will cut off his arm for me, and I'll do the same for him. Yes, yes, Rath said impatiently. In the same frame of mind he would. But your friend Elwood, is that his first name or last? First, Magnuson said, tauntingly. Your friend Elwood is psychotic. You don't know him. That guy loves me like a brother. Look, what's Elwood really done? Defaulted on some payments or something I can help out? You thick-headed imbecile, Rath shouted. I'm trying to save your life, and the life and sanity of your friend. But how do I know? Magnuson pleaded. You guys come busting in here? You can trust me, Rath said. Magnuson studied Rath's face and nodded sourly. His name's Elwood Caswell. He lives just down the block at number 341. The man who came to the door was short, with red hair and red-rimmed eyes. His right hand was thrust into his coat pocket. He seemed very calm. Are you Elwood Caswell? Rath asked. The Elwood Caswell who bought a regenerator early this afternoon at the Home Therapy Appliances store. Yeah, said Caswell. Won't you come in? Inside Caswell's small living room they saw the regenerator, glistening black and chrome, standing near the couch. It was unplugged. Have you used it? Rath asked anxiously. Yes. Wallensby stepped forward. Mr. Caswell, I don't know how to explain this, but we made a terrible mistake. The regenerator you took was a Martian model for giving therapy to Martians. I know, said Castle. You do? Of course. It became pretty obvious after a while. It was a dangerous situation, Rath said. Especially for a man with your uh, troubles. He studied Caswell covertly. The man seemed fine, but appearances were frequently deceiving, especially with psychotics. Caswell had been homicidal. There was no reason why he should not still be and Rath began to wish he had not dismissed Smith and his policemen so summarily. Sometimes an armed squad was a comforting thing to have around. Caswell walked across the room to the therapeutic machine. One hand was still in his jacket pocket. The other he laid affectionately upon the regenerator. 
The poor thing tried its best, he said. Of course it couldn't cure what wasn't there, he laughed. But it came very near succeeding. Wrath studied Caswell's face and said in a trained, casual tone, Glad there was no harm, sir. The company will, of course, reimburse you for your lost time and for your mental anguish. Naturally, Caswell said. And we will substitute a proper Terran regenerator at once. That won't be necessary. It won't? No, Caswell's voice was decisive. The machine's attempted therapy forced me into a complete self-appraisal. There was a moment of absolute insight during which I was able to evaluate and discard my homicidal intentions toward poor Magnuson. Rath nodded dubiously. You feel no such urge now? Not in the slightest. Rath frowned deeply, started to say something, and stopped. He turned to Fallonsby and Haskins. Get the machine out of here. I'll have a few things to say to you at the store. The machine and the clerk lifted the regenerator and left. Rath took a deep breath. Mr. Caswell, I would strongly advise that you accept a new regenerator from the company, gratis. Unless a cure is effected in a proper mechanotherapeutic manner, there is always the danger of a setback. No danger with me, Caswell said airily but with deep conviction. Thank you for your consideration, sir, and good night. Rath shrugged and walked to the door. Wait, Caswell called. Rath turned. Caswell had taken his hand out of his pocket. In it was a revolver. Rath felt sweat trickle down his arms. He calculated the distance between himself and Caswell. Too far. Here, Caswell said, extending the revolver, but first. I won't need this any longer. Rath managed to keep his face expressionless as he accepted the revolver and stuck it into a shapeless pocket. Good night, Caswell said. He closed the door behind Rath and bolted it. At last he was alone. Caswell walked into the kitchen. He opened a bottle of beer, took a deep swallow, and sat down at the kitchen table. He stared fixedly at a point just above and to the left of the clock. He had to form his plans now, or no time to lose. Magnuson, Magnuson, that inhuman monster who cut down the Caswell Gorike. Magnuson, the man who even now was secretly planning to infect New York with the abhorrent fiend desire. Oh, Magnuson, I wish you a long, long life. Filled with the torture I can inflict on you, and to start with, Caswell smiled to himself as he planned exactly how he would dwark Magnuson in a vlendish manner.